Okay, so here's how that song starts, right? That's pretty awesome. If it was in the uh, right now, ear as opposed to just yeah. the left ear, that'd be... Now, this is how... Um, here's an example. Run DMC's Pied Piper. See? For a bunch of white guys, those BC boys sure can rap. Those weren't the BC boys, that's Run DMC. Oh, Run DMC. For a bunch of white guys, those <laughs> Run DMC can sure can rap. <laughs> it's old rap. But it's classic. See, that joke actually worked out better because yeah. I screwed it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing how much this, you know... This, this this song, this this you know, seventy song gets there's a lot of great aspects to it. Sure. I'm sure there's a YouTube video out there picking this apart and all the samples that pull it in. Oh, and, the, almost certainly. And lining yeah. it up and everything. Yeah. Wow, they have a whole list of, uh, of stuff they sampled. It. Look, I'm sampling it right now. The Beastie Boys uh, sampled it. We want to hear that one. Sure. Shit, if I knew it was this party, kind of party, I'd stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. Uh, I don't hear it right away, so anyway. Uh, I think they took the, the bells and made it bass. It's possible. It's like dung, 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 But I mean, it could be just... Dung, 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 There are lots of parts of that Mardi Gras song that can be used. Oh, sure. I mean, trying to find the match, yeah. instead of the ding, 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 it was dung, 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 yeah. dung, 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 dung. Yeah, but Peter Piper is the most direct one, because it... <laughs> the whole yeah. beat is ding, 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 I mean, so, that was straight up like vanilla ice under pressure sampling right there. Well, I mean, it's older style sampling, right? But, but uh, look, I mean... That still is used and is still valid. The, the, I mean, the whole point of you, you said, you said, I at see. the end of the show, if you want to know what the Creative Commons license means, you know, listen to yeah. the other stuff. But the whole point of it is taking what people have used and taking what people have made and building upon that. Yes. And there is wonderful art that can be made. From taking people's wonderful art and even people's silly and bad art uh, and expanding upon it. And it's not a bad thing to incorporate that stuff into your art. It depends on your worldview, your, you know, IP, you know, protection type view. 
I don't. We've decided early on that you know if anyone wants to remix our shit, yeah, remix it. Now, saying the whole show's released in the Creative Commons when we play copyrighted material at the intro and outro, yeah, is, is problematic. But and, we figure no one cares. <laughs> well, yeah, we figure that we're not about to be you know sued over it, so it's not it's not worth our time to try to. Fu- I mean, we're, we're not in this to make money. <laughs> We're not in this to do anything, and and so in general, people don't care when that's the case. And mm-hmm. so, so yeah, they're they're, they're generally fine with that. It's when you use it to make money that they're like, "Hey, you're using our stuff." But to get back to the original thing, Ice Ice Baby, I think was a good use of under pressure. I I think it built on that and used it as a good beat. I I don't I, I mean I'm not trying to defend Ice Ice Baby as a great rap song, but I do think it was right. it was a good beat that was compelling. The, does David Bowie re- deserve any royalties? Well, that's the question. That's the hard part, right? I mean, that's a great example. Yeah. Because under pressure, he, was, he deserves. Uh, so, so under pressure was much more well known mm-hmm. than this Mardi Gras song you just played. Well, no, I don't think that's the case. You don't think so? I mean, I think this was a pretty popular song. I, I think under pressure was magnitudes more popular, possibly. Compare, like, if you take this song to the Run DMC song, and you take under pressure to Ice Ice Baby. Under Pressure and Ice Ice Baby were both massive hits. Mm-hmm. Where this song and the Run DMC song, I don't think either of them were really big hits, right? I mean, Run I, DMC was a pretty good. No, no, Run DMC had hits, but was that song a hit? Yeah, Peter Piper. Yeah, yes. Not to the level of Ice Ice Baby, not to the no, pop, not no, to the popular was... cultural level of acknowledgement, because because I don't recognize it. I thought it was the Beastie Boys. Well, okay, but but all right. Well, you're not an impartial observer here either. You grew up in a white neighborhood, in you know in a white area, and you heard a white rapper on white MTV. Sure. Right, so I mean, you were not. I missed out on hip hop. Yeah, you missed out on, on on the beginnings of hip hop at the very least, and Run DMC was popular for the beginnings of hip hop. Uh, now, yeah, now. Okay, I hear you. My my frame of reference might be skewed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this gets into your physics, right? Because the next question is, what is the valid frame of reference, right? Well, there is no. I've, there is no pure valid frame of reference, but there is a culture. There's not for physics, but right. is there for music? Or is there for culture? There's a cultural a... frame of reference that at least applies, at least you can do generalizations about. And, I mean, I would say that the influence that Run DMC has had is certainly more than Vanilla Ice. Whether or not a particular song... Had more influence over a period of time. No, I, I, I don't disagree. If you ask me to, um, that's a it's an interesting question. You know, my gut feel is, oh yes, Run DMC is more legit than Vanilla Ice. But if you try to quantify it in a generic way, you you mentioned it goes back to physics. Of people and affected. What I love about physics is that. 
Yes, that that's absolutely true, is that it all generalizes at some point back to some physics thing you can point to. Uh, everything, everything generalizes to that. Now, there are lots of complications along the way, and there are lots of considerations, but when you just look at this particular thing, yeah, you can generalize that into a physics term. So that's why I love physics. That's why I have fallen in love with it, because... It's it's a great way to to understand how things work, like you you understand the general phenomena of how things work, and you can then apply it. So now it could be overly it could be over pattern matching on our part too to right. assume this thing, but in it really does seem to work. So back to the whole sampling thing. It's not like I've just thought about this now for the first time. I've thought about it before. I don't know how I feel about sampling and the original producer's rights. And like, like, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. What do you think about Vanilla Ice and David Bowie or the the song in Run DMC? Well, I feel like that there... I, I feel the most fair way to go about it is that there should probably be some sort of movable but relatively set threshold where you say at a certain point look you're allowed to to use stuff and whatever and then if it gets so popular then that you're making a certain amount of money off it then you have to give a little bit back to 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 the people that who came sounds over. reasonable to me as opposed to simply that, that saying, suits our needs yeah perfectly as opposed to simply saying well if you use this you get to pay for it period uh or you can just use this regardless of of whoever did anything with it. it, it it's it's like you know it, it's, there, there's the whole slippery slope consideration, right? Because well, the slippery slope. If someone uses a simple phrase from poetry uh-huh. in a song or in a movie or something, you know, can you claim that you know the the initial author of the poem to be you know the initial and do they deserve royalties if that phrase is used? And, and and a slippery. And then, okay, well, well, then, was, then when does the phrase lose its uh, exclusivity because it becomes so common in English language? Well, here's the thing about a slippery slope. A slippery slope is by definition a slope, right? right? It's a gradient. Yeah, good point. And so there's there's periods where you would say yes, and there's periods where you would say there, no. There's times when you will slip. And there's mm-hmm. times where you can hold on and not slip. When you know, in pop culture, slippery slope means there's a threshold, and yeah. and once that threshold is hit, everyone is gone. Right. But you can look at it a different way, where you look at each case specifically mm-hmm. and decide whether they have slipped or not. It's different from the yeah. pop culture use of once we hit a threshold, everyone's gone. Yeah, it's different from colloquial use. It, it for sure, but. I, I you know there is there are certain ones that are obvious. We both you, you just drank some water and spilled it on your shirt, yeah. and I'm like, oh, Greg just spilled water on his shirt, and I just took a sip and spilled water all over my shirt. These glasses aren't as good as you think, are they? <laughs> no, they're not. Um, <laughs> there's I, there's valid arguments on both sides. Uh, there's sound arguments on both sides. I I I feel like. The the point is that there's 
there is no absolute here. There's each, each thing takes consideration, and some are going to be obviously one way, some are going to be obviously the other way. And then where you where you get involved with the legal system is resolving the dispute of where it's in the middle. I hear you. I was just kind of throwing things out there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good question. I, you know, I happen to have, I think, a good answer for it. Yeah, but. yeah. Again, I threw it out there to yeah. see if we could get an interesting conversation. I think this one's kind of concluded <laughs> without being all that interesting. So I remember, uh, it reminds me of, of a thing I, I, I did on, on Reddit where someone was at. There was a, a question. It was a funny question um, that was asked uh, where... It was actually it was in it was Robert Schraub asked it in Armentown. Like, I, I may have said this before, but I'll explain it anyway. So um, he asked, "Why don't things go? Why are we always going? Why do we never go up or down? How come when we shoot things off into space, we just go to the side? Why don't we ever go up or down?" And I, I <laughs> if you think about like, there's a plane, mm-hmm. the equatorial plane, mm-hmm. the the yeah, so. We we always are on the elliptic, right? We always move things across on the elliptic. Uh, why aren't we ever going? Why are we ever going up or down? And there's a good answer for that, but it's a it's a it's a good question. But there it happens to be a good answer because most things are on the ecliptic because right. that's where it, shit it's is. An energy thing, yeah. right? And well, that that and and there's nothing else to look at that's in. The, so yeah. Well, I mean, we shoot off if you're if you're looking down on Florida, mm-hmm. we shoot off to the right. Because of we get extra energy because yeah. of the Earth's rotation. If we shot off to the left, we'd have to compensate for the loss of energy from the Earth's rotation. If we shot straight up, we are not compensating. We are not gaining. If you sh- if you go straight up, you're just gonna fall down. Well, if you had enough energy, you couldn't, right? But if you go up and to the right, you gain energy. It's 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 you need less energy to get to orbit. Because the way the Earth's rotating, you could go straight out. If you go straight up, just went straight up. It depends on what your goal is. If you are how trying, how far would you have you're... to go straight up before you wouldn't feel the influences of Earth? Well, you infinitely, but before you'd be before other okay. gravitational forces. So, would, would so straight take... up. So, okay, our mission is to catch up to Voyager one. Okay, that's a different question. No, I'm, I'm, I'm asking no, a question. Of, but what I'm saying is, straight up. What is straight up? When do you launch? What does straight up means? Different things on depending when you launch, right? Depends what straight up's pointing to. Well, my point if is, if you the- had a near infinite amount of energy, you know, mm-hmm. if you were using an ion drive, an ion drive strong enough to break the Earth's gravitational pull. Okay, so you could you could fire this thing for twenty years. Okay. Okay. But also escape Earth's gravity. And 90 degrees from the Earth's surface is where you want to go to. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Well, yes. Yes. But in general... You're usually talking in much smaller samples, right? Right. You launch from ground to Earth orbit. Then you second stage or third stage out of Earth orbit to a well, what you do heliocentric is, is, orbit. Is you go about 100 miles and then you tilt and then you turn to either, you know, to to, to either capture yourself in Earth's orbit or to use the Earth's 
uh, yes. rotational velocity around the can't, sun can't. To, to give you that delta V. But that's so, because energy is so expensive. That's that's right. And so, the, you know, the reason why we don't go up and down is mostly because it... Because energy is expensive. Because energy is expensive. Yes. The other, the other reason is because there's nothing... I mean, we might do it if there was interesting stuff there. But the reason why yeah. <laughs> there isn't interesting stuff there is because energy is expensive. And, like, and that's, that's one spot out of yeah. an infinite number of spots. But remember... Like one of the principles, the like one of the fundamental principles of physics is that and is that the universe is lazy. It's the principle of least action. No, the universe will will always, always na- nature will always find the least the, the the path of least resistance. Oh sure, I'm sure you could use less energy mm-hmm. doing a traditional launch, getting into Earth orbit, and then exiting Earth Earth, or Earth orbit with a secondary burn. To go the same direction as if you had launched straight up from Cape Canaveral, right? But let, but okay, let's say this. No, no. But what I'm saying is, okay, you have two options. We can wait till Cape Canaveral, Cape Canaveral is directly below where we want to go, or we can launch it like any time. Or no, let's say we launch at the same time, but we want to do more traditional thing. We launch off to the side. Get in orbit and do a secondary burn from over here to get to the same spot. Well, what, how Which far one? away are you going? I I'm not a rocket scientist. I well, don't know okay, where. Okay, here's what I'm saying. In. Like, okay, you if you were to take a rocket and fire it just straight up to about 400, let's say 400 miles, that's where the IAS is. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's then, not even that high, is it? Yes, yeah, so it, it's it's somewhere around that area. Okay. You, you you take a four hundred mile you straight up four hundred miles off Earth and then you stopped it. Well, it would fall down because it's got it's still feeling ninety percent of the Earth's gravity, so it will just fall straight down. It's not going to orbit. You have to move no. to orbit. Yeah, so, you wouldn't have that thirty six thousand miles per hour type mm-hmm. velocity to it. So it's just going to fall straight back down. That's yeah. what's going to happen. Sure, you'd have to get really far away. For that, for the it, strength yeah. of Earth's gravity, the strength of, of of Earth's gravity to to not yes. Pull if you're you going to stop applying energy yeah. to the object at that point, then yes. Now, how many newtons of force would you have to apply to an object straight up so it would not fall back down? Right, that's that's kind of the, the that's the thought experiment, right? Well, well, the 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 answer is in a in a universe with nothing but the Earth, there none, is none, right, yeah, but no, you, you, you no, the universe there is no amount of energy you can I, do. I agree with yeah. you. But in our solar system, in our solar system, the sun will dominate after you get to a certain area. Yes, like other so how far do you have to go straight up? Before you were like your fuel tanks are empty, you stop burning your engines, and you don't fall back to Earth. Well, there's you a, get there, captured in a different orbit. There's an answer to that question. The answer is where is the fuzzy boundary between Earth and some other objects so that the gravitational mm-hmm. influences are equal out, and that would it's be the probably answer. like depends which way you shoot yourself, but it's probably close to a Lagrange point, right? I mean, probably, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that would be an equilibrium between mm-hmm. two objects, and so once you get if you get around, if you go straight up to a Lagrange point, mm-hmm. or past 
this radius of Lagrange points or something, then you'll start getting pulled a different direction. Yes, by by the other object that you're sharing the, that yes. the Lagrange point is you know is there for. Yeah. So there's Earth Moon Lagrange points. There's Earth Sun Lagrange points. Yeah, right. Something else has to pull you. Oh, has to dominate. Right. But then you're just going to fall into, into that. that eventually. You're not. Yeah, you're not going to. You're not going. I guess you maybe with a three body interaction you would obtain orbit, but with two bodies you're going to fall into the other body. Yes, three bodies get crazy complicated. Yes, we don't have a solution for three body uh, physics. We have we can calculate it. It might take a, a very long time before you fall right. burn up in the sun, but you'll burn up into the yeah. sun. It just gets too chaotic past a certain point. But we 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 have solved two body. System. So you can't go straight up. You just have to. Get closer to another body, right? Than the Earth, gravitationally. Yes, yeah. But in a in a simple in, in a simplified universe with just the just the Earth, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an inter- it's a good question yeah. because it makes you think about things. Because you, so the person who asked this question presumably has watched rocket launches mm-hmm. or space shuttle launches. And after a minute or two, it looks like the thing's flying sideways. Yeah. You're like, why is the thing flying sideways? And I just drew this kind of spiral off the planet, right? Where it keeps going further and further away. And you can't forget about the energy imparted by the rotation of the Earth and mm-hmm. the path of the Earth around the sun, things like that. But, you know, what is your ultimate goal and what's your intermediate goal, I guess, is the better question. Because for every Earth launch, an intermediate goal is 36,000 miles per hour to get Earth orbit. And once you get there, you wait till the perfect time to burn again and start shooting off into the solar system. Absolutely. All right, so here's where we just took a bathroom break. And here's where my, the alcohol consumption side has broke my Google foo. I was saying 36,000 miles per hour for orbital velocity, and now I'm almost certain that's wrong. And I think 19,000 is the right number, but then I just Googled and it said 36, no, 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 63, 30, said 63,000. 63,000 miles per hour, 30,000 kilometers kilometer per, per second. second. 30 kilometers per second. Which none of that feels right, so I just am going to wait till tomorrow before I yeah. Google it again because my Google foo is broken. <laughs> oh, what did I just? Oh, so I saw Kickstarter today. I love cast iron pans. Okay, I I exclusively use cast iron pans for cooking. Exclusively. Yes, I haven't used my stainless pans in ever. Wow, okay. I love cast iron. I, I love the heat. Well, I have electric stove right now. So it's hard to put a lot of heat into a pan with electric. Uh-huh. So, you know, getting into that cast iron works well. So I have uh, an old Griswold, not like the golden age of Griswold, but slightly after the golden age of Griswold. I have a Faberware. They're both pretty good pans, lightweight. They're the nice thing is they're polished on the inside as opposed to like the um the stuff you can buy today where it's like rough and like kind of like 
bumpy on the mm-hmm. inside because mm-hmm. they don't polish them anymore. The guys that are doing Lodge Logic or whatever the company, you know, the big cast iron company is today, doesn't polish their. Cast well, you iron. don't really want polish if you want something to be a non-stick surface. You, you polish is bad for non-stick. You want there to be holes. You want there to be things that. Oh, maybe I, I like a, I like. Ding. I have several cast irons. The ones that are smooth on the surface, I like the best. I like the smooth ones. I bet if you I took like, a microscope to them, they wouldn't be smooth. The ones that don't look like the bottom of an English muffin. Right, yeah. Okay, so the ones you can... If you go to today to place and buy a cast iron skillet, you're going to get the Lodge lodge Logic or Lodge version or whatever, and the inside of the pan's going to look like the bottom of an English muffin. Mm-hmm. More surface area. It's bumpy because, well, no, it's because when they cast these things in sand, they're bumpy mm-hmm. and they cure them after that, but they don't grind down and polish them smooth. Mm-hmm. In the old days, Griswold and Faberware would polish them smooth. What? I, you look like you were going to say something. So no, was, no. Okay. So I saw a Kickstarter today for Field Cast Iron. It's like the Field Brothers that are making these pans. And they've like thought out like everything. You know, the video claims that they thought out, thought out everything in the minutia. From the handle to the weight to the polish to the finish and all this stuff. And, you know, since I'm a cast iron geek and I really, you know, I... I only use two cast iron pans for 90% of my cooking that I'm like, maybe I want, you know, this, like this new Griswold, like, you know, Griswold's the ones that like Alton Brown talked about how great they are. And I was lucky enough to find one of those at a churchyard sale. Right. And got it for six bucks. It's like a hundred dollar pan, you know, Mm -hmm. if you found the right market. So I love it. And uh, so Kickstarter is I can go in for $90 and get a $100 pan of this new high-tech cast iron. And so now I'm sitting here thinking, I would like to support a guy that's, you know, renewing amazing cast iron because cast iron is a great cook. But I have three, I have two cast iron pans I use all the time that I think are great. Do I need to spend 90 bucks? On another one, so I have I have two cast iron pans that I think are great. I have another, like four cast irons I don't use. Okay, they're either too big and too heavy. They're not polished on the inside. They're too small, you know, something or other. But I got two that I use religiously, and now I'm like, I love the idea. You know, my heart is in this Kickstarter, and it's. They wanted thirty grand for tooling to do a production run of you know cast iron, and they've made like two hundred thousand dollars. So it's one of those ones that's like exploded past. And there's four days left in the Kickstarter. I'll be able to save ten bucks on a pan, right? So yeah, don't worry about it. Ninety bucks for a hundred dollar pan. It got the funding, so it's yeah. gonna be out there. But ninety bucks for a hundred dollar pan, yeah. So I save ten percent. Maybe I should wait till SEO people are talking about this to see if this thing lives up to antique cast iron yeah. 
Because I already got those, and I paid six and bucks I, for I it. do find it weird that you use a cast iron pan for everything, because, I mean, it, it's sort of like, you know, it, the the whole um, analogy, you know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Let, it, let, it's, I mean, the reason why I say it is because, look, I mean, like, cast iron is great for, for studio. I mean, the, the great thing about a cast iron is that it retains heat very easily. But, like, I wouldn't want cast iron to make an omelet. Uh, I wouldn't want a cast iron to make mm-hmm. a crepe. I mean, like, there's... I, oh, okay. Yes, I haven't made cast iron. Let me go grab the pan I'm talking... My favorite pan. Because it's not as heavy as you think. Let me go grab it. All right. So there's my prized cast iron pan. It's Griswold from 1936, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a nice pan, but I mean... Yeah. I mean, you mentioned things like omelets and crepes. I've never made an omelet. I don't know how to make an omelet. Oh, no. Omelets, yes. Crepes, no. Um, I cook eggs in there. I can do, you know, it has a really good finish and it's nice and smooth. I can do over easy eggs in that, no problem. You can? Yeah. They get overcooked pretty quickly with that kind of pan. You, 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 so it's a thermal mass, right? You, you put it on low, you let it get about 220 degrees, you let it stabilize, you throw eggs on there, you flip them. But because it's, Polish, if I had a new lodge cast iron, it's really hard to flip eggs on that bumpy finish. Yes. But, I mean, there's a reason why if you... And so, also, part of the problem may be you have a gas stove at home. Yes. I have an electric stove. Yeah. So I need to bank my heat more mm-hmm. than you do. So taking the heat off the heating element and throwing it into the iron helps me. Sure, sure. No, so I, 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 I see too. that. And I look, I, I think that they are very versatile pans. But there's a reason why there are different other types of pans out there. Um, as a stew pan, as a pan for making like almost, you know, most meals that you make, this is a great pan. Mm-hmm. It's a great pan for, for cooking fish. It's a great pan for searing things. Sure. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of great things that, that cast iron can do. I mean, cast iron is probably like, if you don't have a cast iron pan, you're missing out. Having a cast iron pan is, is like a very important piece of, of material. And yes, I you can survive with just a cast iron pan. I mean, I used, to, I used to be of that opinion. And then I found myself using my stainless pans less and less. Because this guy, once you get a great patina, well, that, that's the thing they they yeah. have the, the stainless pans have uses that are different than the cast iron pan. Uh, I mean, the like I said, the one thing that came to mind like immediately was crepes, but also like I said, if you want to make good eggs, I don't think you can do it in a cast iron pan. I just I don't think it's possible to make good eggs in a cast iron pan. Um, you can make decent eggs but not like awesome eggs uh you certainly can't do a souffle in a cast iron when you said omelet i was i thought you said souffle so that's why i was like i don't okay. know how to make an omelet <laughs> like, well, was, i don't know how to make a souffle i know how to make an omelet so i misheard what you were yeah. saying but um there's this is not a good pan for making sauces. A saucier is a great pan for making sauces. This is not a good pan for making sauces. Sure. Uh, I mean, I have pots, yeah. right? I have things that are, you know, taller than wide. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't have a stainless steel pot. Right? I use, or I don't have a cast iron. I'm sorry, I misspoke again. I don't have a cast iron pot. I have stainless steel pots, and I use those for making sauces. This is a. This could be a decent pan for a sweat. It's not a good pan for a saute. There's. There are things that this can. I mean, you could you could do a saute in this, but you're just as likely to overcook and 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 burn things with in a saute as you are to you know okay. to do things. So I mean, like there are various things that, that that this pan does very well for like most cooking for most cooking things. Yeah, but if you want to get into any like. If you want to make awesome food, you need to have an array of pans. Sure. I don't disagree. I, I use that for sweating all the time. Yes. Yeah, sweating works great because, yeah. yeah, you're just trying to extract moisture out of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, actually, our stove is pretty close to being on its last legs, the oven parts of it. So, you know, a couple looking at options and like, I, like, what, what can I do to run gas over to that, over to my kitchen? The joists run the wrong way. So I'd have, if I ran it, I'd have to run it along the center beam. Okay. You know, you're shaking your head like you don't know. I, but, I don't know. But what like, I don't know what a joist is. The, the the big pieces of wood that go this way from the beam that's right behind this wall to the edge of the foundation. Right. So so, so they go perpendicular. to yeah, the... There's big like two by tens that go this way okay. that the floor's on. Well, you're right? saying this way. We're on a, we're yeah. audio. What is yeah. It? So all right. So my house is a rectangle. Uh huh. And down the center of the long edge of the rectangle is a steel beam. Okay. And there's two supports. There's a support over by the bar. You know that pillar that's mm-hmm. over by the bar? And then there's a support that's back here in this corner here. So there's this steel beam that's supported by the foundation on the ends and then two pillars in the center. And then on top of that beam and the foundation are wooden joists that run from the beam to the foundation right and that's what the floor sits on okay so they're like they're, they're slats basically slats yeah. yeah so i need to run a, a gas pipe from somewhere behind me here perpendicular to all those joists the floor joists so like if the basement was not finished mm-hmm. i would drill a hole in each one and run a pipe through it but because the basement's finished i can't tear down the ceiling Right. Now there is a passageway right beside that center steel beam. And this is how I ran a network cable out to my garage is I snaked it down the steel beam. Now snaking a network cable down the steel beam and snaking a gas line down the steel beam <laughs> are not the same thing. No. They do make flexible gas hose which you can do that kind of thing and i'm not 100 percent sure it would be like completely verboten against code but i don't know well i mean you could always get a contractor to do it yes it would be a thousand dollars to get the gas pipe to the kitchen that's that's that doesn't really seem like reasonable to me it's reasonable to me but i'm not married with kids so yes. So, you know, it's like, okay, so that's the one consideration for the new stove. Gas or electric and the cost to get gas there. Second consideration, which I find a little more interesting, is double double oven or not. 
I love the idea of double oven. And, and How what, often would you use it? Well, that's it. For Thanksgiving, it comes in super handy. Sure. How many days besides the day I'm cooking Thanksgiving dinner is it useful? Maybe one. Maybe one day other than Thanksgiving. How many days? I do Thanksgiving almost every year. So uh, do I pay $300 more for a stove rain for a range to get that utility one day a year? I'm thinking no. And I'm having this conversation with Heather, right? I'm like, she's like all about, oh, we have a double stove, double oven now. Mm-hmm. We need a double oven later. And, you know, I'm looking at it very, you know, analytically, right? Like, yes, I like a double oven, but do we get the utility out of a double oven? <laughs> I don't. I, I I would say probably not. Well, yeah, probably not. Right? I mean, it, it's useful on very so that one day a year can I manipulate my day so I don't need a double oven. You know what you should do instead: get a single oven and then get a smoker, and that way you can use that smoker <laughs> as a double oven on those days when you need to use it. Well, I already add, have a smoker. Well, there you go. I already have two smokers. Well, so you already I have, have a charcoal smoker and an electric. Well, you smoker. already have a du- another oven that you can use. Well, the, that a smoker can't go up to like four hundred degrees. No, but do you need both yeah. ovens to go up to four hundred degrees? Three fifty. You know, I mean, without like getting inventive. You know, I need to heat up stuffing and green beans and corn or, you know, whatever. It's, you can't do that on a grill? You can't get... Yeah, maybe I pro- could do it on a grill, probably. I mean, you have them. They're available well, I have you. smokers, right? Yeah. So smokers are, like, low and slow. Right, you know, yeah. So, you know, cooking stuffing in a smoker would be would be... Difficult. All right, so get a Weber, you know, a cheap little Weber grill, and use that for those periods of time where you need to heat something up. And then you have right. you don't have to worry about the space inside. You can keep it outside, mm-hmm. and you can just. Well, I mean, like I said, we've already been thinking about this, yeah. but it's like three hundred bucks one day a year. You know, okay, so the range is going to last fifteen twenty years. The resale value, like. You know, I don't plan on leaving this house anytime soon, but, you know, will this range that I buy be the range that's in the kitchen when we sell the house? Probably not. If it is, is it worth having a double oven? You know, that kind of thing. So, well, it's, it's consideration, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, it's, no. It's an investment, so. Oh. Here's an, it, it, Why didn't they run gas over there before they finished the basement? Because it's expensive and they... And... It's a, no, no, it would not have been expensive if the drywall ceiling was not up. It's black pipe. I, I could have done it myself if the thing I can't do is this texture on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. That's the part I can't do. I'd have to hire someone to put that do back up. Stucco, yeah. I got several places down here where I've already had to cut patches into the ceiling and, and I've never got the texture done right, you know, so. Before we sell the house, I'll have to get someone to do that. But I don't want to have a huge swath all the way across the basement where I've, you know, to do it right, I've ha- I'd have to drill a half-inch hole or three-quarter-inch hole in every joist, which is 18 inches apart, the whole way across the house. So I would have to cut this, take this whole channel out of the ceiling and get it redone. 
maybe getting that drywall I could put the drywall back up and then getting someone to finish it might cost less than a thousand it should I would hope it would cost less than a thousand to get someone to do this texture work on the ceiling yeah it's just what splotches of paint right? well, they I mean, would have to they would have to do the under you know get everything level and well, then do the splotches but yeah and you gotta put a you gotta put some foundation on there and then you gotta put some I tried to do this at my townhouse and instead of looking sharp and jaggy like that it looked like just like um pancake batter just like a bubbly and gross and I actually had to scrape it off and hire someone to oh, just yeah, I mean, kind of you just gotta get somebody who knows what they're doing yeah Actually, with YouTube these days, maybe I can get the recipe down yeah. to get the right texture for the texture. You know, the right need to consistency. Bit, I think. Here's a question for you. Sure. Physics thing. Um, copper, not magnetic, right? Take a magnet to it. Nothing happens. Mm-hmm. What happens when you drop a neodymium, uh, neodymium magnet down a copper pipe? Spins around. No. Yeah. Anti gravity machine. No, that, that's what I meant. It's spinning. See, it's it's not really spinning. See, it's just dropping slowly. Yeah. Why is it dropping slowly? But it's spinning. Look, it's spinning. Not really. It is. A, a tiny bit. It's processing a bit. It's not spinning. I think that's part of why it's going slow, is the... Is what? If that tube was more than 18 inches long, it would have... It would see... You would see that it would gain a... The spin would, would go the whole way down. There's, it has something to do with... I've seen this experiment or trick before with uh-huh. magnets in copper tubes and how it drops much more slowly than acceleration due to gravity. And I've also seen it all, you know, spin. It, it gets a consistent spin. If you disagree. Okay, it might get a, it might get some spin from it. Why? Why is it dropping slower than gravity? Why is it spinning? I did think about this in the past. Right now is not the best time for me to recall that. Curious, what 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 do you think? What so it's it, it's not okay. So th- there it's are not, there's a force of gravity pulling down upon it. There is if you drop it outside of the copper tube, it just falls at mm-hmm. that force. If you drop it down the copper tube, there's some force that's pushing up to compensate for the downward push of gravity. What is causing that upward force? Some kind of like... This might come out dumb, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like some kind of like wake effect of the magnetic wave moving through the copper or something that's... You're not not wrong. You're not off. This is an example of... Let me tell you the the answer. Sure. Or do you want to keep guessing? No. That's, I mean, that's probably as good as I'm going to get. Okay, so this is an example of electromagnetic induction. Uh, essentially, what you're doing is you've created a generator. You have a moving charge. Right, some charges that are moving. Oh, so turn the pipe into a wire. Yeah. 
Oh, so it looks a lot like a generator all mm-hmm. of a sudden. If you think about, instead of the magnet moving through a cylinder, you think of the copper moving past a magnet. Guess what? You get a generator. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so because you have because you are doing work, there is a force. So it's inducing a current on the pipe. And that is inducing... Is, could, if you hook that, I guess if you hook that up to an LED or something, it would light it. Yes. You'd, you'd see a voltage. You'd, mm-hmm. you, you would see a, a voltage spike because you are generating a current. And so since you're generating a current in this direction, you're generating a magnetic field right. in this direction in perpendicular. And so you've got this force... Right. That well, it's, up it's on it. yeah. It's. I guess it's the resist. I mean, since yeah. the it's the resistance. Uh, since the current has no place, if the current could flow out of the pipe at zero resistance, it would probably fall faster. But because there's a capacitance built up there, it's falling slow. I mean, you're you're doing work, so it has yeah. to. I mean, right. you right. have to be pushing against it somehow. You can't just do work yeah. and have it be free. Right. That makes sense. It, it it's interesting how because the copper is a cylinder and not a coil of wire, it didn't look like a generator. Yeah, and it, it, it's one of those things that you know you you in that, until you're exposed to it. Like I imagine the first person who did the experiment was like, "What the hell is going on?" Like, until you're exposed to it. Once you get once you get it, it becomes obvious. But the first time you're supposed to be like, what what is happening? Why? And you come up with things. And I I think your your wake thing was I mean a reasonable answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out to be yeah, you're making a generator, and so you're doing yeah. some work, and it's going to push back on you. Right. That, that's interesting because like I'm thinking of a motor, right? I know that there's the permanent magnets and there's the coils of wire and you turn it and there's a resistance there I never I don't think I ever really specifically thought about that it was not magnetism Mm -hmm. but it was this current induction thing that was causing the resistance of, of twisting the generator I don't think that's something I ever put together before. Cool. I, I just always, I never thought critically about it. And I always thought that it was just, yes, it's hard to turn because there's magnets ticking together. Not, it's hard to turn because you're creating a current and it's not magnets sticking together. I thought magnets sticking together led to current or something like that, right? Because I never really thought about it that critically. Well, I mean, ultimately they're related. They are, but the you have a magnetic medium and a non-magnetic medium passing past each other. Mm-hmm. And in simple terms, I never considered that the copper medium was not magnetic. Yeah, it's one of those things that it doesn't you know doesn't occur to you mm-hmm. until you see the demonstration, and then I, I, that's why I love that because it like. To me, and, and I'm glad it did it for you, like it became very clear once you got the explanation. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, electromagnetic induction. Dropping a magnet through a tube. Yeah. 
Yeah, if it was, you know, if it looked more like a generator, I would have nailed it. But you know, I wouldn't have seen it right away. But for some reason, that the magnet falling through a tube mm-hmm. doesn't look like a generator. Now, if I had seen the, and I've seen the experiment previously, but you know, I'd love to see you know that hooked up to a ohmmeter. There's a there's or, a video where where they did that and see what kind of currents generated. Uh, not much in general. Oh, sure. But, yeah, they... Um, I'm sure a cylinder of copper is not the most efficient, uh, you know... Even with a neodymium magnet, which is, you know, a powerful magnet. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. And gravity's not that strong. It's not as fast as moving... As I've got a... two bits of metal. This is an aluminium cylinder, so long, and a similar cylinder of neodymium. Yeah, so I'll we'll just skip past this, and he does hook it up to a voltmeter at some point here. For after about a count of four, a slow count of four, maybe four seconds, it comes out. So this is more than ten times as long as the aluminium. As this magnet falls down, say gets to there, then it's inducing currents which will be coming round this way. And these currents coming round this way will induce a magnetic field pushing in the opposite direction. So as this comes down, this imaginary magnet that I've got is going to be pushing in the other direction, holding it up, holding it up, stopping it from accelerating. That, the current and that it goes gets to a, a around the, which it travels all the um, way down the cylinder. the cylinder. That's probably what causes the magnet to start the spinning. The copper mm-hmm. tube inside an aluminium cylinder. I'm going to put the neodymium magnet in, and the question is. What's going to happen as the neodymium magnet falls through that little aluminium cylinder? Is it going to stay still? Is it going to be pulled up? Is it going to move at all? Or does it just stay stationary? At first sight, you might think nothing can permeate through this copper cylinder. Nothing can happen at all. It might shield it. But this is happening very, very slowly. So he has a three-foot copper cylinder. He has his magnet. He has this aluminium ring. And you can see around the right bottom six inches it's a it's a it's a um aluminum ring outside the copper pipe the ring is about a quarter of an an inch it's about six inches from the bottom of the pipe of a three-foot pipe it's on a arm so it can bounce up and down and he drops the magnet through and this aluminum ring which you may assume should not be affected at all because it's aluminum Mm -hmm completely non-magnetic bounces when the magnet passes past it. Right, it goes down. down first. Yeah. As the magnet went past this, it pushed it down. Even though it wasn't touching anything, it pushed it down. If I do that again in case that wasn't so good. All right. This isn't about magnetic attraction as you would attract a, a paperclip. This, if I move this very slowly, the aluminium does not pull towards the neodymium magnet. This only works when the magnetic field that comes out of here threads through this hole. If I put it on the side, nothing happens, but if it threads through the hole, then it will move. If I move the magnet down to here... That's that's uncanny, right? The magnet field he, is not threading so, through this So hole. what he just did was... So he has a neodymium magnet that it's about an inch by half inch. The three, cylinder. Three quarters yeah. of an inch. You know, cylinder. Three quarters of an inch diameter. And he has this 
aluminum ring that the thing can fit through and it can uh, the copper pipe that the magnet can fit through can also fit through and it doesn't have to be falling through the copper pipe he puts the magnet outside the ring slowly no difference he slowly sticks this magnet inside the ring and pulls it back out pulls it quickly pulls it back pulls out, out quickly. quickly and it bounces so there's this it's not magnetic attraction but there's this like current affinity or something mm-hmm. where it's like because of the motion things like it, it it slowly gets close to it and when you quickly pull it away it wants to stay close to it well remember that you're but, in magnetism electromagnetism is all about moving charges mm-hmm. and if you move a charge fast enough then you generate a large potential and so he's moving a charge he's moving magnets but they're they're charges relatively fast and that means that the reaction i mean i guess it's the same as using aluminum wire in your electromagnet or something like mm-hmm. that in any appreciable amount so you put it there and it doesn't attract at all if i put it there then the magnetic field th- threads through the hole but if i move it very very slowly inwards nothing much happens but if I move it out quickly, without touching the sides, the magnetic field is changing rapidly the part that's threading through that hole. That's inducing a current in the outside. They're attracting each other. And that's weird because that, this that is, is weird. That's bonkers to me. A force between these two, which depends upon the speed at which I pull that away. What do you see? No, that's, that's super interesting because... Aluminum is not magnetic. It is conductive. I, it's just like the copper thing. I, I get that. Does it, it has to be a circle? What if there was a? What if you took a hacksaw and cut a slice in that ring, but it was still mostly a ring, but there was an air gap? You'd still, I mean, if you ran something close to it, it would still, but it would, it would not be as powerful. You'd lose, you, you'd, because what you're essentially designing uh, is a transformer. Um, and a transformer is a lot more powerful if it's, if it's like that than if it's, you only have one of these. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you would, you you would be much less powerful if you didn't have the ring. The ring, because what happens is you have a charge, and a charge is radiating its stuff out in the sphere. Mm-hmm. So if you have something that will catch it in that, catch all of that as it's moving, that's a lot more powerful than if you have something that's only going to catch a little <clears throat> piece of it on this side. That's the experiment I want to see. I want to take that ring. I want to cut it with the finest saw I can get so it's like barely visible that there's a gap. And and see how much less motion you get from the thing. It would drop off considerably because you don't have, because instead of being one over r squared, you have uh, you have to do a whole new math to figure out what that would be. It'd be um, it'd be linear. It, uh, I have to do the math because the current's moving around in a circle. It's gonna hit a break and. Yeah, I'm not sure I can imagine that. But, you know, I also... 
why am I having a, I'm having such a hard time reconciling how I understand a generator versus magnets moving through rings. Well, again, mag oh, electromagnetism is about moving charges. Mm -hmm. There's a field. There's there's this electromagnetic field that's all around us constantly, and when you move a charge in that field, you uh you disturb that field. So the and the effect of that field then radiates outward from that disturbance mm -hmm. of the charge. So when you're moving charges, you are disturbing the field and therefore the field can disturb charges because it goes back because it goes both ways. The field can disturb charges, the charges disturb the field. So if you move charges in a field here, they can move the field can move charges elsewhere. Right, so I guess a, a good way to picture a generator, right? Draw a bar magnet north and south, right? Mm -hmm. So you get a rectangle with N and N at the top and south at the bottom. Right beside the bar magnet, draw a perpendicular post, which is going to be the axle of your generator, and then imagine draw like an oval that's the same height as the the bar magnet. Imagine that's a coil of copper, and you can imagine where. When it's sitting, you're sitting right beside it. You know you're gonna have this north, you know, and half the coils will be close to the north, and half the coils will be close to the south. Now turn that thing ninety degrees, right? You know, quickly. You're gonna have the the forces, the field that it's sitting in, flip. Mm -hmm. So the electrons that are in there are going to want to move towards the south side, right? And, you know, if you tap it in the right place, you'll be able to get current off of that coil. So, and the reason it's a coil and not just a ring is efficiency because you're multiplying yes. every wrap of the coil versus a very tiny magnetic charge. Mm -hmm. In the example of these videos, I'm kind of explaining to myself here. No, yeah, absolutely. In these videos... Cool. They're using ridiculously strong neodymium magnets instead of normal generator class mm -hmm. magnets. Electromagnets, usually, yeah. Uh, generator. No, they have permanent magnets. They probably do, yeah. They have permanent magnets, but they're generally not these neodymium. I mean, your power plant mm -hmm. almost certainly, as far, unless, as far as I'm aware, don't have... These giant, huge neodymiums, they have much weaker magnets of much larger mass. So a coil of copper helps amplify that because mm -hmm. if a coil has one turn versus a thousand turns, the thousand turn coil is going to have a thousand times the effect. Yep. So in these videos of copper coils, aluminum uh, um, rings, they're using a magnet that is much more powerful than you expect in a gener generator so you don't need a coil you just need a cylinder to see the effect right see the effect although if, you, if i mean you could do it with a copper coil and, and, a, and a tiny magnet and you would and if you put it to a voltmeter you would see it oh if you spike. took if you i'm sure if you took this is interesting right because 
part of my intuition about a copper coil is the magnet moves past the coil, but it has to go a longer distance around the coil to get to the other end. With a copper cylinder, it should just be able to move right down the cylinder as fast as the magnet moves, right? Because it's not having to go move around and around and around and around and around because the atom of the atom that's just above the copper is right below it, and then you don't have to. You understand what I'm saying? You're looking at me that kind of. Day. I, I I don't think so, distance has much to do with it. No, because... but not, okay, so so okay, take take the experiment we just saw where there mm-hmm. was a copper cylinder. Mm-hmm. Okay, replace that with an acrylic tube that is wrapped in transformer wire. Okay. Transformer wire is insulated, so when it touches each other, it's not conductive. But, you know, you wrap it around Mm -hmm. and around and around and around. So you basically put as much copper mass Mm -hmm. in a cylinder form, but the atoms vertically are not touching. Right. Okay. The atoms are only touching in a spiral, not a spiral, but you know, a, the helical, helical, yeah, going the whole way down. It would actually make more sense to me why the magnet slows down in that kind of experiment than in a copper cylinder where vertically the atoms are touching. You know what I'm saying? I. They see intuitively why in, yeah. intuitively I see what you're saying, but no, it wouldn't. It would it would be the same because you said it is as much copper mass. So, but 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 the atoms would not be touching vertically, right? But that doesn't matter because what you're doing is you're inducing current along in the copper. But yeah, but the electrons that are actually moving instead of moving vertically, they'd have to move horizontally around the spiral, the helical. Just don't think about it like electrons. Yeah, you're you're, yeah. you're getting confused because you're not because this can be understood classically, and mm-hmm. in fact, classically is probably is the better way to think of this. So sure. think of it as a fee, as as fields, mm-hmm. uh, and you are inducing a feel an electric field in uh, in in a direction that is perpendicular to how it's dropping, which gives you a dire- a perpendicular direction of a magnetic field and that is causing the magnet to stop dropping still an experiment i want to see i want to see a copper cylinder versus an acrylic cylinder wrapped with transformer wire but you have to do an acrylic cylinder that's trapped with the amount of transformer wire that equals the mass the copper mass no i get it uh which i don't that might be Uh, derek could do it i'm sure maybe I'm sure Derek has the time and technology and money to make that one. <laughs> Derek from Veritasium, I'm yeah. sure he could do that. Uh, it, it, it would require a lot of turns of of wire. Oh. So you had this big mass of wire ultimately. Uh, and because of that... And you would you would also want to make sure the wire is not like just haphazardly wrapped. You want right. to make sure it's wrapped consistently in the well, downward well, well, angle. Because, or... that, because you have insulation there, you have space, and that means you have more radius, mm-hmm. and so that means that you're you are going to lose power because it can be further away from the magnet. Okay. So we use a 3D printer to print something that has the same internal radius as the copper. <laughs> but the atoms are not touching vertically. You can do it. I mean... 
the idea is doable. I, the, the, Star Trek could do it. Yeah, okay, right. The 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 principle. Yes, in principle, um, if if you could somehow make it so that the acrylic tube is wrapped with uh, wire that is not touching it, itself, but is the exact same mass of copper as is the uh, copper I, tube. I hear what you're saying. It sounds like it is an impossibility. Yeah. Because you said exact same. And yeah, I'm not sure how that could be a possibility, but it's still, I mean, close enough. I still want to see the results of the experiment, right? I want to see the results of the experiment of a copper tube with something as reasonable as we can do to a copper tube, but wrapped with transformer wire, where there is a longer conductive path to the bottom. Mm-hmm. That is, I think, an excellent instinct. You want to see, you've learned something and you want to see how far that goes. Mm-hmm. You want to see, all right, what is what about an edge case? What about a case where... Right. I, this I'm could sure, be a yeah. very expensive experiment that has mm-hmm. no difference in result, right? Mm-hmm. It's still valuable. It's a valuable experiment. I agree. Uh, it's valuable thought. Um, I, the math says it should be the same. Do you understand it well enough to know that? I mean, yeah? Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't write it out for you. Okay. But I, I understand the concept enough that from uh, – that there – there shouldn't be a difference because you're inducing the same amount of current. Classically, there should be a quant- from a quantum perspective, there may be a difference. Right. So, I mean, the thing, I understand what you're saying. I kind of can see that and can, like, agree with what you said. But then the part of me that doesn't let me fully agree is that in a traditional generator, you know, the ra- the more wraps of coil, the better the advantages well what you're doing is is you're you are um so so the more wraps of coil the better the advantages to me it seems analogous to saying the longer the conductive path to the bottom right is it stretches out the length it, it's okay it's right, right to a longer cylinder okay so you're you're right in a sense because what what happens with the coil? Okay, I see where you're going with this, and I understand now. Uh, I wasn't sure where you're going with it before. Now I get it. Uh, you're right. the The more wrapping, because what happens is the the field actually does it, it becomes quantum to a certain point, but basically their mean path is obstructed to go. They can't go mm-hmm. down. They have to go through right. the wire. So they have to go around, which so wrapping that means that you get more a larger mean path, which means you get more current. Right. Now I do agree with you. Running this experiment practically and getting the same mass of copper in the same proximity to the magnet and making it be transformer wire is p- probably very hard. Yeah. Because there's a lot of copper in a copper tube. And when you 
turn it into a copper wire and wrap it, there's a lot of air in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I understand that practical problem. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So when you obstruct the 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 path of the electric, so that they're forced to move because they're being pushed, mm-hmm. uh, but they can't move. That they're going to, in general, want to move along this electrical field that you're generating, but they can't move. They're actually forced to all kind of bunch. Okay, up so here, us. take your topper, take your copper cylinder, yeah. and use a laser to poke a bunch of holes in it. So its density, its its com- cumulative density, is equal to that of your copper wrapped mm-hmm. um, acrylic tube, right? So you're taking copper out of the solid copper cylinder tube. To make it equivalent to the thing, right? That, so you could that could be your experiment. Yeah, but then you run into issues where the question is the. But the, okay. You run into issues where the question is how much laser is is there so you avoid a band gap where there wouldn't be, where the the copper ions could easily the electrons could easily pass through uh, holes if they're small enough. Right. So I mean, the they reason tunnel the reason that. I said like not like. So, like putting a bunch of copper rings stacked upon each other, but using lasers to kind of make it porous, it would be, you'd have to decide what scale impacts the experiment, but you can make the same density mm-hmm. at that point, right? You could make it look like a Swiss cheese copper tube, and there's the same amount of air in the same area as there is in your transformer wrapped wire. The weirdest thing is from what I understand about semiconductors. Again, we're getting into stuff now that's a little bit beyond me. I'm not into solid-state physics. That's not really my mm-hmm. forte. But from what I understand about semiconductors, there actually might be a advantage in terms of conductivity to a solid <clears throat> copper tube with a lot of holes in it versus wires versus solid, like a complete solid. So actually the deformities in here. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of the point I'm getting at, right? Because like, but this thing with the lasers might have better current than either of these options. I would expect it to. Oh, or not. Well, I wouldn't expect it to be better than the solid tube, but so, okay. So just to make sure you understand my proposition Mm -hmm. here, we have two tubes. We have copper pipe, just like we saw in the video, but it's been pierced to a calculated amount with lasers, so there's a bunch of holes in it. But that still allows vertical conductive flow, right? And then we have our acrylic tube wrapped in transformer wire, mm-hmm. where there's only one path through the tube. And it's around and around and around and around and around and around. So it's more or less horizontal flow in a, in a helical, like you said. But we try to uh, control for the amount of copper mass equally proximate to the magnet that's going to be moving through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's that's 
Sounds like a science. We should do this. We should do this fucking experiment. But I mean, you know, the, the the I should Google for a day and make sure no one's done it. But I should do this fucking experiment. The, the beauty of semiconductors is you, you take something that that is a pure conductor, and then you take something that is doped slightly so that it has impurities, and the one with the impurity is actually going to be better for lots of reasons than okay. The pure. I, I'm not sure that we're. I'm not sure if this experiment gets to the level of semiconductor, but maybe. And this can be controlled, mm-hmm. and this one can't really, because you can, well, that that's another whole thing, but that's what uh, transistors are all about. Anyway. <laughs> oh, when I was reading up on, um, yeah, transistors, that, that that's fun. Holes. Mm-hmm. Holes in semiconductors. It's hard to get your head around. Yeah, well, uh, you, you can only understand... Semiconductor physics with quantum mechanics. You can understand this stuff mm-hmm. with classical mechanics for the most part. Right. But okay. yeah, these don't make sense in classical mechanics. Okay. Yeah, holes is not a classical thing. There's no there's no such thing as a hole in classical physics. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, BJTs versus MOSFETs for you know I, yeah. I got into that a little bit ago. I was trying to make, I was trying to work on a couple of circuits, and I, I never really was all that successful with what I wanted to do. I wanted to, wanted to have a uh, solenoid, which is like a magnet with a iron core in the center, right, which kind of pops out, and I wanted to have that chime a bell. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to drive this with like a five. Yeah, so it's like a magnetic lever. Yep. I wanted to drive this with like a five volt power supply, which was the microcontroller that I was using with the thing. And I thought, well, five volts isn't enough to throw the solenoid hard enough to chime the bell loud enough. I thought if I could slowly, it's not going to chime very often. So I thought if I could use the five volts to charge some capacitors and then use a MOSFET, to discharge the capacitors quickly, mm-hmm. I could throw the solenoid. Mm-hmm. I never did get it worked out that it was effective enough. I want to get back to it someday, but... I, I bet there's a better way. I have to think about it. But, I, I mean, your, 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 your idea is sound, but there's probably a, a simpler way to go about imparting enough energy with just five volts. Yeah. The uh, I could get it to to work, but the bell was never loud enough. Yeah. Well, if you just use a simple lever at some point, and you said it just takes a small amount to move it, but as a compared to large movement at the bottom, then you could do. Uh, I'm kind of constrained in in the uh, the bell, you know. So having a hammer that was in a solenoid like that, mm-hmm. and I found this little solenoid from uh, SparkFun. Like I said, I, when I was testing, I could get it to ding. But the, then the power supply that I actually wanted to use didn't have enough amperage. And but you, I, you you put that on a lever, and you make that lever long, and you push that move a little bit, and it's going to move a lot down here, especially if the the fo- if the foco the you're gonna, foci you're is gonna up here. Lose your, you, okay, so if you put the fulcrum there. And you have this, it's going to have to push harder 
to move the thing, right? Because you have the fulcrum point. It's it's either you're, you're either trading travel for power. Okay, but okay, so the travel for this tiny little solar I got was just barely enough to hit the bell anyway. Mm-hmm. The travel was only five millimeters. Mm-hmm. So I can't trade travel for power. You know, I like I can't I can't give up any of the travel to hit the bell. Five millimeters is like the min, almost minimum tolerance tolerance to chime a bell. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because it, you could you could do a lot of mechanical movement. I could, I could but have it, it do fast mo- enough I, to chime well, I, the bell. I could, I could, if I could make a perfect lever, uh-huh. I could make this five millimeters ten millimeters, but it's going to be at half the power. Right. Or yeah. I could make this five millimeters two and a half millimeters at twice the power, and maybe that would work. But the mechanical engineering of making a perfect lever mm-hmm. at the tolerances of five to two and a half millimeters is. Crazy. Can I get another it. solenoid. <laughs> I need more power in the power supplies. More need. power. More power. That's what I needed. But I was trying to, like, so I just wanted to slowly charge a capacitor mm-hmm. up to 5 volts at, you know, 3,200 microfarads. And then if I could have a, the MOSFET say, drain, discharge, yeah. discharge now. And have all that flow through the solenoid right away. But even then, the best ding I got was like a click. <laughs> well, yeah, because how does it retract? Well, that that's part of it. If there was... Okay, so if there was too much power, the solenoid would s- stay against the bell for mm-hmm. too long and dampen it. Right. So I needed something that would hit hard and, and also retract quick enough to not dampen the bell. And that's part of okay. So you can have two capacitors, and use uh, resistors oh, it, to make a slight delay, so that there would be oh, no, this it, discharge, and then this discharge would pull it back. It, it, no, it has a natural retract. It has a spring in it, right? But I mean, you could oh, reverse the right. polarity. So and then, the solenoid, <laughs> the solenoid is spring loaded. Mm-hmm. So there's a mechanical spring to pull it back. The thing that what the hard part for me, and it was probably a solvable problem for an electrical engineer is to find a way to provide the power to, sl- to hit the hammer to the bell, but also manage how many milliseconds it took to drain the current, mm. right? So I wanted to provide a lot of current for only a couple milliseconds, but I didn't want the hammer to continue to contact the bell and dampen the ring. Right. And when I realized that was my problem, I realized this is a harder problem. It's a fun problem. Yeah. But it's a harder problem because now I need to hit the bell hard enough, but I also need to have the coil de-energized fast enough that it doesn't dampen Mm -hmm. the bell. And you have to have that coil have enough energy to so it's not so instantaneous that it doesn't actually move the solenoid. So it has to have enough power to actually do the movement. It needs to work then, for a millisecond or two. But then let go then completely discharge enough to let yeah. it fall back. Yeah, That's balancing Balancing that yeah. circuit turned yeah. out to be hard. I, I tried different capacitances uh, you know and 
I didn't get lucky. I didn't get the ding I wanted. Well, see, like, like I said, if you could take that energy, take that power, and the funny thing is, it's easy with your finger. Well, it's not so funny. I mean, this is four billion years of evolution. <laughs> <laughs> easy peasy yeah. for me. Uh, the you know, my finger didn't dampen that ring. It, it pulled back. The, what you could do is if if the problem was that you didn't have an, that the charge was still going faster then you could have something in there to reverse that charge mhm oh yeah i i think that i think probably someone who has a um, bachelor's in electrical engineering oh yeah could do it yeah. could would know how to balance that circuit and make it happen i am um, barely illiterate gnomes law right and so it's it's good it's good you know we everyone starts from these from these areas you don't mm-hmm. no one no one looks at this and is immediately a genius and figures it out no, no, but, it, it, but i mean that's kind of the thing like oh what i oh what okay i can take this little bit of power i can store it in a cap and yeah. i can discharge it with a semiconductor it's great the idea and then is, i found um, out that then i found out the hammer was Sticking out too long. Well, it, and as soon as I realized the hammer was touching the metal of the bell too long, I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, it's like when you, you know, when you come up with a network design or when I come up with a program, the same thing. And, you know, oh, it, it works totally in your head. And then you actually implement it. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is a whole thing I forgot about. I, I, I didn't take that into account. Not sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, it's the same thing. It's just um, now, I mean, we've, we've been around enough to know to to understand those pitfalls before we go into stuff i didn't say it wasn't a fun and interesting problem i didn't say i I didn't say i thought that that's what you were saying yeah it's just like ah that's that's a wrinkle that i did not expect to have to solve remember what i said in the in in the in the pre-show about when you the more you learn something the more you realize you don't know the more you realize there's other things you have to consider uh and all these things are true, no matter what the field is. True. True. Truth. Truthiness. Trumpiness. <laughs> that the new truthiness. <laughs> Too bad Stephen Colbert is still not doing his show. Because <laughs> Trumpiness would definitely be yeah. part of it. All right, I think that's enough. I got to go, let's see. So in 27 hours, I'm going to be getting a drive from the Super Shuttle to uh, the airport, and then I'm going to go to Tucson. Okay. Super Shuttle from your house? Hmm. Because I got to return my rental car tomorrow. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it looks like I may maybe buying a new car. Oh no! Yeah. What the, what did the mechanic say? Transmission fucked. Transmission fucked. Uh, you just Uber everywhere. You don't work too far from home. How am I gonna get here? <laughs> um. Yeah, that would get expensive. <laughs> it sucks that I'm the reason you'd have to buy a car. Uh, no, I mean. I, I want to have a car. I live sure. in Pittsburgh. I don't live in New York. Right. Well, good luck to you. 
Uh, my parents are going to help me if I need to. We'll see. Good luck. Fucking transmissions. Yeah.